Thunderdome. How do I get in there? That's easy. Pick a fight. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where anything is possible, fate decides. In Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 25, which begins with Auntie revealing the one rule of Thunderdome, and it ends with Max picking a fight with Master. When we last joined Max and Auntie this past Friday, they were standing at the edge of her penthouse, and they were looking out over the courtyard. I say courtyard, it's more or less the barter town square, and they are looking over the massive structure that is Thunderdome. And Auntie continues by saying that there's no parole and that two men enter, one man leaves. I found something interesting in the shot of the overview of Thunderdome and kind of the town square. The traffic pattern that was created around Thunderdome Mm -hmm. reminded me of a traffic circle or a roundabout or a rotary. Yeah, I don't know what people call it. Yeah, different people call it different things. Okay, did you notice something specific about that traffic pattern? They were going in an American direction. No, no, no. They were passing it around to the left. They were? Which is... An Australian traffic pattern. Which is pattern. an Australian traffic pattern. Yeah. Oh. If they were doing it American style, they, they would, would have, have been... passed with the dome on their left, but they are passing to the left of the dome with the dome right. on their right no, side. My, I get that, but my memory is that they were going the other direction. Nope. That they were going counterclockwise, but they're going clockwise? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I thought it was remarkable because most of these people, like we've said many times before, they're still first generation wastelanders. They still still remember a time in their life where if you're traveling on a road and you come up to that sort of traffic arrangement where you've got a circular intersection, you go around to the left and pass in your circle until your exit comes and then you just go. Yeah. And these people haven't driven in decades. Like there haven't been established traffic patterns in a long time. So I looked up some stuff about traffic circles. Oh, okay. Because I was curious about the history of them and especially the history around the world. Because we are from New England. We are a big traffic circle area of the country. Oh, yeah. And I grew up calling them rotaries in Connecticut. Yeah, I grew up calling them either roundabouts or traffic circles. Yeah, and once I moved up to New Hampshire, I started calling them traffic circles. And now that's my natural term for them. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a circle that traffic drives around. So French architect Eugene Hennard was designing one-way circular intersections as early as 1877. Then American architect William Phelps Eno favored small traffic circles, and he designed New York City's famous Columbus Circle, which was built in 1905. These designs were doomed to failure from the beginning because they gave priority to entering traffic, Mm -hmm. meaning that more vehicles can enter the circulatory roadway than it can handle. The result is congestion within the circles, which cannot be cleared without police intervention. Yeah. 
horrid design. I have driven on one like that before, and it's a horrible design. Starting in the 1990s, the United States saw a revival of mostly smaller traffic circles termed roundabouts. The modern roundabout finally arrived in the United States in 1990 in Summerlin, a major Las Vegas residential subdivision. I used to live in Summerlin. Really? Yeah, it's a very nice area. Is the roundabout still there? <laughs> There's a lot of roundabouts. <laughs> I don't think I could specifically say, oh, yes, I know the exact one you're the exact talking about. One. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a big area. A lot of expensive places. <laughs> As of December 2015, there are about 4,800 of these modern roundabouts in the United States alone. As an example, Washington State contains about 120. As of October 2016, all having been built since 1997 with the more well-planned traffic rules hmm. of the entering vehicle yielding to vehicles that are already on the roundabout, which is the only way that makes sense. And it boggles my mind that the opposite way still exists. One major thing about traffic circles that I can remember from my time in high school, because I took four years of French, which proved to be absolutely useless. Well, you would have pronounced the French architect's name better than I. I guess so. But <laughs> one of the major details of our discussion of Paris as the capital of France is that if you are driving in Paris and you come to the roundabout that encircles Lac de Triomphe, apparently if you get in an accident in that traffic circle, your insurance company will not pay for your coverage. Like there are clauses in insurance policies in France that if you go into the roundabout around Lac de Triomphe, you are on your own and may God help you. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Like you can go online and look up YouTube videos of people trying to navigate that traffic circle and it looks like utter mayhem. My research did point out that the larger the traffic circle, the higher speed everything is going to be happening at. Mm -hmm. Which thinking about our area, there's a pretty large traffic circle in Portsmouth that is quite high speed. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't help that you are dealing with exits and on-ramps for like the highway. Yes. I mean, and it's the interchange between two highways. Yeah. So it's as well as local roads. <laughs> but it makes sense. The bigger the rotary, the faster you've got to go to get through it and whatnot. Uh, not the case here in Bartertown, though. No, nope, everyone seems to be kind of moseying around. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see that there aren't people trying to walk the opposite direction of traffic, that everyone is, you know, moving it along at a fairly organized pace and no one's really being held up if they don't want to be. Like, there's always going to be slow walkers, but it's not like there's a person traffic jam or something like that. Right. Something that I kind of pride myself on a little bit is that I understand that when you're dealing with pedestrians, pedestrians are supposed to follow the same rules as if they were cars. Mm -hmm. Like... You walk on the right or the left, depending on where you're at in the world. And, you know, roundabouts go counterclockwise. And, you know, you don't cut to the left side of the sidewalk to take a left until just before. You know, just like normal traffic patterns. Those rules still are effective and still apply to pedestrians. That they do. I am pretty sure that when Auntie says two men enter, one man leaves, this is the only time in this movie that the phrase is not followed up by 
people chanting it in response. Like, this is the only time we get a call without an answer. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I say we should revel it before it disappears forever. Revel it? I love the call and response thing. (laughs) It feels religious. Yeah. Yes. Which we're going to get our first call and response I think later on this week, so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into it more then. Yes. We reverse our shot so we can see Max taking a few steps forward, and he starts to ask a few more questions about Thunderdome and this whole arrangement. And of course, that first question is about weapons. And the collector walks up behind him, tells him, you know, there's an element of chance here. I have to wonder... If that question he's asking, when he just says weapons, I have to wonder if he's asking specifically about bringing in outside tools. Because he's already decided that he's going to need to use this whistle in order to overcome Blaster. And so he might be subtly trying to ask and make sure that the moment he pulls that whistle out, someone doesn't stop the fight and take it away from him. Right. And actually, this little interaction... ah, Made me rethink my position on the whistle. Yeah. Did you notice that he doesn't have his red fly swatter anymore? They took it away. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. It's the weapon. He's not allowed to have it. He's stuck it in in the first place. So this reply of chance decides is such a poor and vague way of communicating some very important information. Right. Like, we're going to see it. We're going to see how weapons are involved in this little championship bout thing. And it would be so simple for the collector to say, there will be weapons in the dome. But no, he's got to be vague. This vagueness drives me nuts. Auntie and the collector are setting Max up to accomplish a task. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't they give him every tool they possibly can, every bit of knowledge? Exactly. Why don't they exactly describe what is going to happen exactly describe what it's going to be like fighting in the thunderdome that he is going to be bungeed up and that he can reach for weapons and these are the different type of weapons that you can reach for and maybe even if they have specific places that they always are say hey the chainsaw is over here but it's difficult to start so don't bother with that go for the machete which is usually on the opposite side give him everything you possibly can to give him the best advantage yeah for being a woman that wants to severely cripple a political rival she is not helping her assassin at all now i understand it's supposed to be a fair fight and no one's supposed to know he's working with auntie and i guess they don't want to give off the air that he knows too much but at the same time anyone who's been living in barter town for any span of time knows what a Thunderdome is like. Yeah. They know what the rules are and how it operates. Especially Blaster. You can tell when he starts, he knows he's going to be bungeed. He knows exactly how the bungees work and how they feel and move with his body. And he knows exactly where to go to get the weapon that he wants. Mm -hmm. All that information that the Collector and Auntie could have given Max. And Max is clever enough to not make it obvious that he has been informed of what's going on. Yeah. Everybody knows that he's an outsider. So, yeah, he can't look like he knows what he's doing, but Max is smarter than that. Yeah, I think knowing about the bungee cords would have been awesome. Uh, Knowing that there's a limited amount of fuel in a chainsaw is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all little helpful things. I think the detail about this scene that bothers me the most is how often the collector 
will interrupt two people having a conversation. And it's almost always Max and Auntie, where Max will be talking specifically to Auntie, and the collector will walk up behind Max, or to the side of Max, and more or less answer for Auntie. It does seem like that's his role. It's his thing. And everyone, he's got to have their thing, but I'm kind of getting really tired of it. Do you see it as kind of a sexist thing? As a man <laughs> needs to do the explaining because as... a woman can't because she's not smart enough. Something, you know, over the top sexist like that. Do you think of that kind of a thing? As some sort of mansplaining habit that he has? Yeah. I kind of feel like the collector has delusions of grandeur that he thinks because he is the gatekeeper, that he's the one that allows people to pass, that he actually has more more importance than he really does and that even though this is auntie's show that she's running that he can still interject himself i don't think it's specifically spurred on by his own gender politics i think it might just be him getting big old britches okay i never thought of it as gender politics either i see it more as he is her hand. Yeah. He is her primary advisor and counselor and is with her in everything that she does. I, I just had another thought. You remember in Galaxy Quest where Sigourney Weaver plays the communications <laughs> officer yeah. and she just repeats the computer and talks to it. And at one point they give her a hard time. It's like, Gwen, we can hear the computer. And she's like, I don't have any other jobs. This is my job. <laughs> So as upset at the collector as I can possibly get, he would probably fire back with, this is my job. I don't do a lot. <laughs> I sit at a desk and I trade animal skins for sacks of grain and hours with women. Let me have this. I'm Frank Thring, for goodness sake. Don't you know who I played? I'm important. <laughs> Max's next question is, of course, Thunderdome. How do I get in there? And Auntie's response is pretty plain. She says, that's easy. Pick a fight. You know, I think the collector's responsibility is just to say everything that Auntie doesn't say because Auntie only gets the best lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like and she, he just gets to say everything else. Her lines aren't expository enough, and so he has to fill in the blanks. Yes. Like, her lines are usually quick and quippy, and then he actually says stuff. Mm. He still doesn't say a lot, but he says more than Auntie does. <laughs> Just a wealth of good information. Mm -hmm. We get a lovely wipe to later on in the evening. We pan down to look at the Atomic Cafe, and wow, everyone seems to be having a really good time. Like the guards, Iron Bar, the general crowd of people, they're like having a party or a celebration or something. I mean, everybody but the collector, he's all grim and serious, but it makes me wonder exactly what they're celebrating. I have thoughts about this. Okay. First of all, do you think that the music is diegetic? I don't see why not. I think that it is. Yeah. I think that there's literally a raucous party going on with music and everything. My second thought, in a few seconds, a little bit down the road, Master comes in on his vehicle mm -hmm. and he says, everybody have a good time, which sounds very host-like. Yeah. I think that Master Blaster put on this party as a way to wrap up and put a bow on his power play from earlier. Like, not only does Auntie admit that Master Blaster runs Barter Town and Master Blaster has power over the power, but he also provides for you. Yeah. And he is providing you with this music and booze 
So he's celebrating the end of the embargo type of thing? Yeah, I think if he has to put a label on why we're having a party, it's because the power came back on. You're going to whoop it up. I definitely thought that it was a footnote to the earlier embargo situation. The whole idea that he is the the powerful one in town because he controls the power. Yes. I was thinking, because this is an evening scene... I'm pretty sure that everything we've seen so far in this movie, well, I'm pretty sure that everything we've seen since Max arrived in Bartertown has all been within the same day. Like, Max arrived at Bartertown in the morning, had his little run-in with the collector, was brought up to see Auntie. He spent the middle of the day slash early afternoon in Underworld, where he ran afoul of Master Blaster the first time, went to see Auntie in the evening, and now he's picking the fight that night. So this whole 24 hours of your life thing is pretty much ringing true. Yes, I agree. It's been a very eventful day for Max, but he, he does that. Yeah, his days are usually pretty eventful. I mean, wasn't Road Warrior like within a week? I think within five days even? Yes. It was that quick. I like this version of what I'm calling the Barter Town theme because it has the most saxophone and the least amount of clanging. I agree. Although, it does have a delightful amount of saxophone. It could also be the Underworld theme, but I don't, I don't know. I know it has a name. I just haven't looked it up. Yeah, I actually, I meant to, and I just realized I didn't. <laughs> it was kind of on my list of things to do, and it didn't. Yeah, didn't if, you, if you search Beyond Thunderdome saxophone theme, you'll find it pretty easy. Yeah, I had some more thoughts, some continuing thoughts about this party and that I think Master Blaster threw this party. Mm -hmm. I don't think that people really care who's in charge. No. As long as they are provided for, as long as they have power and trade and an occasional Thunderdome, they're happy. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're interested in this power play, this tugging back and forth between Auntie and Master. Because in the end, at least tonight, they're all winners. They got a party out of it. Right. And they're going to get Thunderdome out of it. I don't think they care about all of this. No, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And there seems to be a lot of libations flowing, and it made me think about like the alcohol situation and then i stopped for a moment and i was like people were brewing distilling and venting their own alcohol for centuries oh, before yeah. modern methods and they're going to keep doing it for centuries afterwards yeah. millennia yeah i'm willing to bet based on my limited knowledge of alcohol that you're probably going to see a lot of vodkas because potatoes are pretty easy to grow mm -hmm. in those kind of environments as long yeah. as the soil is fertilized i mean I saw the Martian. <laughs> it doesn't take much. Yeah. But it's funny because as you are watching Master Blaster and Blackfinger is on the side of the machine there. And as that ute or vehicle or whatever we're calling it is rolling through this crowd of people, you can see the Blackfinger and he's pouring into people's cups. Ah. Like they're, they're distributing the libations. Okay. Then I definitely think that they threw this party on purpose. Yeah. Reminds me of the movie The Great Escape, where there are a couple of Americans amongst the mostly British prisoners of war, and they start sneaking potatoes and a few other basic supplies, and they secretly make vodka for the 4th of July. Nice. Yeah, and it's horrid. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Oh, it's such a good movie. I watched Chicken Run the other day. 
<laughs> Wait, what? Chicken Run is the Great Escape. It is. It, well, it's the Great Escape starring Mel Gibson as a chicken. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. I forgot about that. Well, that's going on the hiatus list. It is. Wait. Does that mean we can actually watch the Great Escape? We don't have to watch Chicken Run. No, because Mel Gibson is not in the Great Escape. The Mel oh. Gibson is in Chicken Run, which is a remake of the Great Escape. Okay. Can we watch them both? Well, yes, but we're only going to record for one. Okay. Chicken Run is a fine movie. I watched it because I know the story and I was watching it at work and I was able to just like put it on in the corner of my screen and not pay attention to it. I just have it on for background, but I much prefer The Great Escape. Well, yeah, because The Great Escape has one of the best motorcycle chases in cinema. Yes. I think my point in all of that was that it's really, really easy to make alcohol of questionable quality. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right. Yeah, to gain quality and good flavor, that's where skill and materials and supplies really come into play. But it's not hard to make the basic stuff. No. Side note, I was looking at our hiatus list of movies. Yeah. We can do another situation where we do a live action Mel Gibson movie and then we do an animated Mel Gibson movie from the same year. Because not only did Chicken Run get released in 2000, but so was The Patriot. The Patriot, huh? Yep. Okay. I'm willing to put the Patriot on the list. Well, I mean, it's already on the list. I mean, it's a movie where Mad Max tries to kill Lucius Malfoy because Mad Max's son, the Joker, was murdered. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> then we'll get to talk about how George Miller wanted Heath Ledger to replace Mel Gibson in the new Mad Max movie. Mm -hmm. Was his excuse? It was something about how... It he... wasn't happening fast enough and he needed to go make Happy Feet. But Heath Ledger, like, fit the role in George's mind or something like that? Yeah, it was who George envisioned yeah. as the new version of Max. Mm. And then, so Happy Feet got in the way, and so Fury Road was delayed. And then by the time they were ready to make Fury Road, Heath Ledger had passed away. That would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. I'm having a hard time picturing it because all I can see is Tom Hardy. Yeah. And I think Tom Hardy did such a good job. I can see Heath Ledger with the close cropped haircut, like stepping on some sort of Raider's neck and being like, do you want to know how I got this leg brace? <laughs> I need to see a picture or a movie of Heath Ledger where he's got shaved close hair. Yeah. Most of his movies that I can think of off the top of my head, he's got longer, longer hair. Longer hair, yeah. Hmm. I'm sure it'd be pretty easy to find if we if we, if we wanted you know. to bother to look it up. But no, but we'll meh. save that for when we talk about The Patriot, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. What we are focusing on right now, though, is the fact that Master Blaster are sitting atop Max's vehicle and they are driving through town, which tells me that Max actually did disarm the explosives because Underworld didn't explode. They were successful in converting it over to methane so that it's able to drive on its own. Because this is the first time we're seeing it drive under its own power. Yes. It was getting dragged by camels earlier. I like that Master Blaster are sitting up on Max's, like, caravan driving seat and you've got a guard down actually in the driver's seat chauffeuring them around yeah at this point it's not so much a vehicle as a mobile throne yeah i think that's one of the main reasons master blaster wanted it to be up high to be the center of attention to have something so completely unique 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to think that if you were to take the Mad Max universe and smash it together with Game of Thrones, that the Iron Throne would be a massive vehicle. The kind of thing where someone is driving it and then your warlord sits up on a massive throne that's made out of like melted weapons and whatnot. That's definitely something I can picture in this universe. Mm-hmm. As the movies go on, the cars get more outrageous and the logical conclusion to that is a throne made of melted down swords atop a vehicle. (laughs) I imagine you stick around the wasteland long enough, you're going to loop back around to sort of a feudal lords and ladies society. (laughs) I think so. What I like about this party scene is that as the vehicle drives through the people, you've got one guard that's walking out in front of the vehicle to, you know, tell people to move, but the crowd parts sort of like the Red Sea in the old Ten Commandments movie. And as the crowd parts, Max is left standing alone in front of the vehicle and they roll up on Max and he pretty much ends this minute by reaching out his hand, pointing at the vehicle and shouting above all of the music and all of the people moving around. He yells, that's my vehicle, which is the same exact phrase he used with Master Blaster down in Underworld. Same exact phrasing. Nice. Max is so much more outgoing in this movie than in past movies. I've noticed it before where he'll actually have a few sentences in a row of dialogue. He's never done that before. And even when off screen he did have that much dialogue, we're only shown like the last half sentence. And we just assume that he talked a lot. We never actually saw it. Max has gotten a lot bolder over the two decades that he's spent in the wasteland. And it's refreshing to see. Like I said before, this is my favorite Max of the original trilogy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we, don't, we don't need to get back into it if you don't want to. Well, that would take some thought. I mean, the first one is my favorite movie, but I've never thought about which version of Max is my favorite Max. That'd take a lot of thought. Yeah. For me. I'm sure it'll come up again. And we don't I'll need have to worry about, about it. it right now. Yeah. I have a feeling that that question will probably come up again at the very end of this season when we're talking about the end credits, because this is our last outing with Mel Gibson. So yes. that'll be a whole other thing to discuss. One thing I like about this is that in both instances, Max has called this just a vehicle, which is a very non-specific thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that's because it's not quite a wagon. It's not quite a ute. It's kind of something in between. Like he doesn't see it as a ute. He sees it as a drawn wagon, but it's also a ute. It does seem to be modified to the point of it doesn't have a category in our standard idea of vehicles. Mm -hmm. One thing's for sure. It's not the Interceptor, but that'll come later when we talk about the comics. Okay, good. I need to sit down and read the comics because I'm still confused about why the Interceptor shows up randomly in the fourth movie. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, need you to definitely, about that. <laughs> you definitely need to read those now that we have it. Yes, it's sitting over there on the side table. Just a matter of picking it up. I'll, I'll, I'll get you. I'll, we'll get you. Okay. We'll get you. Max continues speaking after he yells, "That's my vehicle," but we don't get that in this minute. So we're gonna end today with Max arm outstretched finger pointing accusingly up at Master Blaster, having just shouted, that's my vehicle, and we're gonna see what else he has to say when we come back on Wednesday. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. 
Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 25 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody!